Kenda Martinez with Caprock Environmental Safety. Caprock Environmental Safety. Let's get to that in a moment or two because my understanding is that is not primarily an oil and gas industry, although it does have some roots to it, as well as you do some work with oil and gas companies still. But talk to me about your early days of when you got started in the industry. My understanding is you've been in the oil and gas industry now for almost 20 years? That is correct. So I actually, I, go ahead. I was going to say, so go ahead and tell me how you got started. You know, you don't have to get into ages because I don't want to get disrespectful this early on in the interview. <laughs> <laughs> No, my uh, my grandmother that raised me said that a lady that tells her age will tell anything. So we'll just skip the age part. No problem, because I'm 39 <laughs> going on many times. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so uh, you got into the industry about 20 years ago. What, what, what type of job and what type of work were you doing? And how many other females were your contemporaries 20 years ago in the industry? Three questions right out of the gate. Boom, go. <laughs> I moved out here to the uh, moved to the Midland Odessa area and got tired of working in the office and and doing the administrative assistant thing and so I decided that I was going to go work in the oil field. I looked around me and I was in awe of everything that was around me and I started off. I got a position with a company that's now now owned by Nov. And I was a warehouse assistant. I was a warehouse clerk. And that lasted for about a day. Um, I loved to drive. And I saw the, the drivers going out, taking parts to the rigs. And that's what I wanted to do. So I begged and pleaded and, and annoyed people until they put me behind the wheel. And so I started out as a hotshot driver running parts out to the rigs. Um, my only other female coworker at that time was the other warehouse assistant. Um, I did not see women out in the field hardly ever. How about there, doing? There were, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, there were a few, but they were very far. You know, very few and far between. How about hotshot drivers? I would think that would be a pretty. Um, I don't want to say easy, but a but a pretty. Kind of a, kind of one that would be gravitated towards somebody, you know, either a, a female or somebody who's not going to be slinging chains, if you will. You know, the dangerous work that uh, the oil and gas industry uh, can provide. You know, the dr- dr- not that drive, not that driving a vehicle out to a rig is not dangerous in itself. I don't want to diminish that at all. But um, was there any other, you know, female hotshot drivers? Do you th- did you notice? Not, not at that time. No. Okay. Okay. Not that I personally knew and came across. Yeah, to me, it was uh, the oil and gas industry. I noticed its history was a lot like ag, primarily male dominated. And even the areas where, you know, there was just kind of seemed like, you know, easy entry for other opportunities, whether it be, you know, younger generation or inexperienced or females, whatever it might be. Um, so you've, have you been in the oil and gas industry then for about the last 20 years outside of the last, you know, okay. So you worked in oil and gas for 20 years, COVID happened. Um, and now you kind of are, are doing more sanitation type work. Is that right? Talk to me about what you're currently doing. Well, um, what we're doing now, the company that I'm with now, my business partner and I saw a need whenever COVID hit. And we acquired a product that's similar to, but not the same, that a lot of people out here have. And we started going around to all the rigs uh, that, that we already had relationships with. She and I had both been in oil and gas for several years. And one of the things that, along the way, I don't have customers. I say, I don't have customers. I've built relationships. And we both had people that had followed us along from company to company that had remained our customers. And we went to those and said, hey, you know, this, this is what we're doing. This is about our product. And they said, well, well come on with it. Let's, let's do it. 
And so we currently have all of the Permian rigs for three different drilling companies out in the Midland Odessa area. Well, that's interesting. Oh, so you are doing um, some some good work in the oil and gas industry still. When we were talking a little bit, you know, before the interview, I just kind of, you know, assumed you were, you know, restaurants and, you know, small events and offices and that sort of thing. So you're you're getting out there on the rigs still using, you know, okay. your your relationships and this and that. So um, that's so interesting. we do those other things also. No, no I know. Yes. That, that's what I mean. I just assumed that you were just doing that, but you are actually uh, still getting uh, these these sanitations out of the rig. Talk to me a little bit about that. How, how does that, uh, how does a company go through something like that? Where does, you know, who's, who, who within the company would you be contacting for something like that? Do they have some sort of sanitation worker? Is it health and safety, HR? What, what would that be? Uh, it really just depends on the company. Okay. You know, every every drilling company has their, or every, you know, every operator, every company has their own chain of command for different things. Uh, our first, our first points of contact were the guys that we knew on the rigs. The, the company men, the rig managers, uh, the safety guys. Those were the first people that we hit up, the people that we had had relationship, you know, business relationships with previously. And then they would tell us to go from there. Hey, you need to talk to the superintendent. Uh, you need to talk to the lead, you know, uh, HSE. You know, it, it, they would direct us from there on who to speak with and how to get that, get that going. Um, at the time that we decided to start doing it, COVID was, was here. It was rampant. Um, not that it's still not, even though people want to pretend like it's not. Um, and, and it was something that whenever we went in and explained our product to people, it was, hey, look, when, when can you do it? Here's your MSA. So you're now in Lubbock after being in Odessa, Texas, Midland, Odessa. For, were you in Midland, Odessa for 20 years? Uh, I was around in the area. Okay. And Carlsbad, Pecos, uh, Kermit, I, I oh, wow. usually don't let the dust settle under my feet. Boy, you did all the bedroom community tour of <laughs> Midland, Odessa. Boy, Carlsbad, and, uh, did you say Kermit? That's where the Winkler Refinery is going, the Walton Refinery. Sorry, Winkler's the county. Uh, Walton the, Refinery. Uh, yes, yes, I lived in Kermit, and, um, you know, I, I am going to grudgingly say that I actually lived in Wink twice so so what did you what, what would you say over the last 20 years you know i mean you've seen quite a bit of growth i'd imagine i mean has it been has it been like you know manageable growth did it get you know did the horse get out of the barn in some areas you know in up in my neck of the woods in the bakken for a while it was the local politics got really comical in some areas i want to say was it gladstone Gladstone, North Dakota, they tried to actually dissolve the park district because they they were trying to profit off it, renting it out to oil field workers. Well, then they just took over the park district, so the people, the locals got mad, and they just wanted to dissolve it. I mean, just weird little local politics and things like that. But at the same time, Highway 22 got built, and boy, everybody loves that, so that was a positive, but... Anything that stands out over the last 20 years of just kind of that Midland Odessa area that either, you know, it was a growing pain or thank God that was put in there, <laughs> you know, something like that. I, I don't know, Jason. I mean, there's, there's so many things and I honestly, I stay in my own bubble. Sure. Um, I would like the main thing that I can point out is that state representative Brooks Landgraf with an amazing, phenomenal politician, and I do not like politicians at all, not even a little bit. Um, Widen 302 and had some stake, I believe, in widening 285. And those are two of the most dangerous highways in the United States. Um, the Deaths Highway, both of them. And those both got taken from little two-lane rickety ranch-type roads or farm-to-market-type roads, even though they're state highways, um, those, those are now four lanes in most areas. That's a big deal. 
That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Like, that's why I brought up Highway 22 in, in North Dakota, and even I'll even say 85 when the bypass was put in in Watford City. Lives were saved. One of the first things I, I texted when I got down to Texas, I haven't been in Texas, you know, until this last year in a while, and the roads are narrower. The roads are narrower. And, like, just a little bit, just a little bit. And so I thought I was going crazy. And I texted a few friends of mine that work in government up in uh, Minnesota and North Dakota. And I said, I think I'm going crazy, but these Texas roads seem much narrower. And, of course, when you're driving with semis everywhere, you're very conscious of that. You're very conscious of that, right? Because I've driven through Chicago. I know what it's like to have a little bit of extra room, okay? So, um, anyway, I did, sorry, I did a little trucker talk there, but... Um, oh, no, but you're fine. Okay, I, so, but but they, what they texted back was snow removal. Everyone texted back snow removal. So apparently the roads up north of the Mason-Dixon line are a little bit wider because of snow removal. I thought it was maybe just because, you know, some people were cutting corners and things like that. But, um, boy, that's, that's an important part, these roads. It really is. In fact, when I was talking to uh, Tracy Bentley in charge of the Permian uh, Partnership, Permian Basin Partnership, that was one. That's one of her top priorities is is getting roads yes. widened and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, you're in Lubbock now, uh, a couple hours yeah. away, and so where, where the roads are much narrower and a big a, a big Ram 2500 four by four with ridge grapplers on it, uh, it, it's hard to maneuver. Would you say that? <laughs> would you say that you're transitioning out of oil and gas, or you're trying to stay in? oil and gas. Does that question make sense to you? It does. I I never thought that I would leave oil and gas. It's like once you get bitten by that by that black gold bug and you see those paychecks coming in and you feel good after putting in that hard day's work that you know I never thought that I would leave this industry. Um unfortunately due to life circumstances some good, some bad. Um, I've had to pretty much step out of the oil and gas industry. I think that I will always have my toe in it in some form, but it's not going to be the uh, the queen of the oil field anymore. Well, I'm rel- relinquishing that crown to somebody else. I got a I got a tough question for you, and it's not sure. it's not meant to be combative, and it's not yeah. meant to be pot stirring in any way. Do, do you feel like you're almost being rejected by the industry? Um, and the reason I say that is I know a lot of people trying to stay in the industry, but the industry's got like nothing for them. And so they, you know, it's, it's re- reject after reject after reject. And I don't mean reject in a negative way. You know, it's like, hey, if you go for a job interview and you don't get the job, you got rejected. You got, you know, another door slammed in your face. You're still got some business with the oil and gas industry. So you're, you know, you're doing the best you can and hustling out there and everything. But um, when I talked to a gentleman last week who worked in the oil and gas industry for 29 years, and when COVID went within a year, within one year, he went from 100% oil and gas to 20% oil and gas, 80% wind, because that's where the contracts went. And he does underwater welding and de- offshore welding and that sort of stuff. So he, you know, he's kind of ahead of the ahead of the on onshore stuff, um, on land stuff. So, uh, what, what, just talk to me a little bit about how you're processing, you know, given so much to the industry, and now, you know, are you having troubles getting jobs, or you know, is is it a rejection or is it a keeping it? I guess I'm trying to not get you in trouble and get you to answer the question. <laughs> oh no, no. And, and I mean I, I understand the question. Mine mine is in my particular case, it is not rejection. Okay. Um at all. Not even close. Well, because um, being laid off is pretty normal in the industry. That's pretty oh, normal. Yeah. 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 The last company that I the the last company that I actually worked for uh, I got laid off April 16th of last year. I believe it was the 16th, the middle of April. And I still text my supervisor that I still have a good relationship with. I still text him probably a couple times a month. And, they, you know, I want to come back to work and give like the crying emoji, you know, the bawling emoji. And, and it's just not where 
the industry is just not where I could go back to work for them. Um, my transition is because of circumstances, personal life circumstances, um, and my significant other, I moved to be with him. And also the main thing is that last year, the beginning of last year, I actually contracted COVID. Um, I was sick for four months, very, very, very sick. Um, and I've been left with some lifelong side effects from it. And I am no longer able to go 150 miles an hour on two hours of sleep and go, go, go type A hustle anymore. I'm, I'm just not able to do it. So that's that's the reason for my semi-transition. Sure. Are you talking to colleagues, coworkers? You've been in oil and gas for 20 years. Uh, are you talking to anybody who is getting laid off, anybody who's getting rehired, anybody who's finding new opportunity uh, within the industry or maybe outside of the industry? Just, you know, are you are you staying in touch with anybody or, you know, is it just you and the love of your life and everybody else can piss off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, my, my best friends are, are friends that I've made in the industry. Uh, you know, the oil field's a family and I like to think that we try to stay together and we try to stay connected regardless of what anybody goes through. And, and yes, I mean, I talk to people every day that, uh, you know, friends, colleagues, people that I don't even know reach out to me on LinkedIn, you know, Hey, I got laid off. Um, I heard that you have a lot of contacts. Do you, do you know anybody hiring or, Hey, I just got on at this company and I know that you don't know me, but I know you have a big network and we're, and we're hiring. So if you know anybody, send them our way. Um, and, and then I do know people that are like, man, screw this. I'm, I'm gone. I'm, I'm going home. You know, I'm going to work for, Verizon or Amazon or, you know, I'm going to stay home and keep the kids because the wife's a nurse or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Well, last October, you know, we've at the crude life, we've had a pretty good track record of being prophetic. In fact, my, my one buddy calls me the shale play prophet because we were, <laughs> well, there's certain signs you can see. And, and when you, when you take a look at the economy and you take a look at the social indicators, like, for example, 2014, we called Year of the Pipeline. Well, the, actually, the DAPL protest happened that, right. that next year, you know. And last year, what was it, 2019, we said 2020, be ready for anything. And we thought it was a 16-year-old girl with her environmental movement going across the country that was going to be the biggest, you know, threat to the industry. Turns out it was COVID. And, right. yeah, and so, again, we were ready for anything here at The Crude Life because, like we said, ready for anything. This last year, we have, we've, we've had a couple um, predictions. We usually make them in October. And this one, though, we said defined by defection, where I really believe a lot of people are going to defect from the industry this year for a variety of reasons. One is just the sheer marketplace, that the, the same amount of investment is not going in there for a variety of reasons, whether it be lack of just sheer investing or it's this new ESG movement that is – making people go to more school and training and re-education before they can invest in oil and gas. Either way, it kicks the can down the road of now of investing. So when I hear interviews like yours and Mike Renfro uh, from Blue Boat Subsea going from oil and gas to, to wind, basically, and I'm, by the way, every chance I get, I dog wind energy. I, I think the Amish... And the farmers from 150 years ago were more effective and efficient with wind energy than we are today. But I don't, I don't have any problem bringing someone on to talk about it because, you know, I don't, have well, all, I, don't, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the smart, you know, so we're just – anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean, and, and on the wind energy thing, I mean, it's a great thing, but it needs to work hand-in-hand hand with oil and gas. I mean, oil and gas is the backbone of the entire world's right. economy. And the products that we use. And people just, if you're hacking on oil and gas, you don't get it. You don't understand. You need to do your research. Well, and it's, like, um, it's what's so different about it, and this is the other part of the defection part, is that there, there's a little bit of big tobacco 
you know, modern day leper involved here where, where in, Col- in Colorado, they didn't even have to use words. All they did was put a picture of a woman holding a baby next to an oil rig. And that was, that was all they did for their advertisements in order to frame the message. So when, when you're kind of the new big tobacco and an employee is no longer making six figures from a company and they're getting publicly shamed at the dinner parties and Thanksgiving and this and that, it's, it's tough to hang on to an industry like that. It's really hard to hang on to a belief system when everybody around is, it, well, I call it state-sponsored shaming because it's okay to shame oil and gas workers right now. In fact, the president of the United States is telling people to go and go, go find a new job. It was back when, um, I think they did. This. He goes and finds a new job. Yeah. Well, they did, they did it in coal. <laughs> but people, people forget back in the late nineties when they started demonizing coal, I think it was Clinton, the administration who said, go learn how to code. You're telling a bunch of coal miners who probably a lot of them don't even have a high school education to go learn C++ and go learn how to code? What are you, crazy? And so I kind of feel like that's what John Kerry and Joe Biden did, the oil and gas industry, when they said, go build solar panels, you know, just just say well, no, just go do what we do, you know, type. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. And, and you know, and, and no disrespect to Mr. Biden, um, but... Again, people don't get it. You don't get it, sir. You don't understand. Come out here and do my job. Go, go, you know, sling some, some, some tongs or something. You'll get it. But, well, and I also, I mean, my belief is, is that anybody, the president of the United States, the queen of England, whoever can say what they want. But my feeling is that the oil and gas industry is so strong and powerful that we can push back. I I feel like that that is, you know, and I'm not even going to get into the politics. I'm a libertarian. I think the government needs to stay the hell off my lawn. But, you know, I think that society, like, we need to push back. Like, aren't you sick of getting pushed around? That's the hard part about being a libertarian is nobody shows up to the meetings because they're all doing their own thing. And but you know they want to, though. You no, know, they totally do. No, they, they secretly want to. I, like I, I laugh. I, I laugh because, you know, I, I used to tell people when it comes to, you know, whatever right it was, whether it's gun control or cannabis or right to life or whatever, prescription drugs, I don't care. Whatever the issue was that was polarizing America, I used to look at them and say, libertarians take care of that. Leave it just right up to the person. <laughs> no, I yeah, well, I mean, like I said, it's like eating a bag of chips in church. You know, everybody's looking at you and side-eyeing you and everything, but deep inside, they want some chips, too. Oh, totally, totally. You know, and I think that until America decides to get away from its two, this archaic two-party system, nothing's going to really... The guts of the government is not going to change. I think we're entering into a different world, um, and I think it's already here. I, I think we're entering a world of corporate oversight, okay, because the corporations know what we're doing before we do because we've done it to ourselves with our phone and the Internet and et cetera. So, so the, yeah. the cor- like, have you ever heard that? Um, it was from 10 years ago. I mean, this was 10 years ago this study was done. Google knew when flu outbreaks would happen before the CDC because of people going and searching about flu symptoms. So Google was informing the CDC before when was, was you know, basically doing the predictions of where these things were going to happen, okay? So we've done it to ourselves. So we, you know, we, oh, yeah. so when, when I say we're entering into a world of corporate oversight, that's what I mean, is that the corporations actually have more oversight over our lives than the government does, but the government has control over us. So I believe we're entering a world of corporate oversight and government control, and that's why I believe it is very dangerous when the government works so closely with corporations now, because oh, yeah. the, because now then the person who's live is l- the one living their life. They're the third person that has input on their own life because the corporations have number one, the government's got number two. Because remember, the corporations control the government for the most part, and um, yeah, and so. Anyway, that's just, I don't know. There's a little existential energy for you here on a, uh, on, on, on a morning. It might get a little bit too much in the weeds for you, but you're a libertarian, so I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah, let's I'm, let's talk I'm a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about um, getting back with that narrative, getting control of what you want in your life, and you would like to see more women in the oil and gas industry be honored and be showcased and respected and just kind of awareness. So I'd like to lead in with this a little bit because I want to transition away from the defection into the respect. But one of the other reasons why I believe there will be, uh, this is the year that will be defined by defections, is because of the spouses. When you take a look at an oil field traditional spouse, they are some of the most important people in the industry that I believe they should be getting the annual bonuses over the workers. Because if they're at home making sure the kids get in school, keeping the house together, making sure the, the, the husband's life is being operated, well, they're sacrificing too out at the rigs and this and that. But they got a per diem and they got, they got a little bit different stress than the family stress, okay? I'm not going I'm, I'm to compare one to the other. But what I am going to do is say, I believe that the oil field spouses are going to be a big, big wild card in this whole oil and gas industry employment going in the next uh, um, couple years. And I believe it's because they are that critical and that important to the industry. Uh, your thoughts on that? I, th- I think you're, I think you're on point with that. <clears throat> Whether male or female. Right. Uh, you, you have to be supportive of your spouse. Um, you have to be in tune. You have to learn about their job. You need to learn about their job. You need to learn what they do in the field. You you need to ask the question, how can I be a better spouse to you? How can I support you better? And, and you do, you need to hold it down at home, whatever it is, whether it's feeding the kids or feeding the dog. Um, I've been a military spouse. I'm a police spouse now. Um, it's, I, I get it. I understand what needs to happen at home and now that i'm the one that's out working or or was i know what i need from my spouse and i need my spouse to be a strong person and hold it together and get shit done can i say shit get stuff done um you can't just find don't worry about it it's cool (laughs) It's, I, I it's the crude those. life, baby. It's all just raw okay, and real well, here. I try to be respectful, you know, and all that, but I'm, I am still oh, oil field. So. We threw that out a long time ago. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I need to know that when I'm out doing my job, that I don't have to worry about what's going on at home. Because a lot of the stuff to do with the oil and gas industry, you being focused and you being on point with your job duties is the difference between your life and death sometimes, whether it's driving to and from location, uh, whether it's being on the rig floor, you know, so many factors there, but you need to be 100% for your own safety. And for that reason, you know, you don't need to be worried about the bullshit at home. You, you need to be able to trust that things are taken care of and your spouse should be your teammate, not your enemy. The other thing that I think is going to be important going into the next year for a lot of people as they try to reassess and reinvent and you know rebrand their lives, if you will, the one thing that the oil and gas industry brings, and it's very attractive, is the sense of purpose. Going to work every day knowing that you are actually playing a critical role. And no matter, in the oil and gas industry, there's no role too small. And every, you know, everything needs to work together, and that's part of the beauty of the supply chain and how it works. So if you're a if you know if you're a hotshot tool you know running tools that's like that, that's like so important that people make a good living on that you know it's like whoa someone can make a living just running tools back and forth the wells that's awesome so yeah yeah that's it's incredible so it's very purposeful to know that when you turn your lights on you contributed with that I I compare it to I grew up in the farming world so a lot of farmers felt very very, you know, prideful and, and proud at Thanksgiving. Like they helped build this meal. They helped grow right. this meal. And so right. when, when oil right. and gas right. workers drive, they feel like they helped contribute to people driving. You, you um, contracted COVID. You are now trying to sanitize places so it's COVID-free and trying to fight that battle, if you will. You transition from purpose to purpose. So I, I think that... 
that side of your brain or that little itch in your brain was satisfied. I do think that's going to be a problem for some people if they go to retail or, you know, go to Amazon. Boy, they're going to feel that kind of that lack of purpose pretty quick, I think, in oil and gas. So I don't know if you agree or disagree or you've even thought about that before. Just I'd like to know your comments on that. No, I, uh, I definitely agree. And, and I will tell you a little short side story here. My oldest son lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Well, lives, lives in the Dallas area. He's a stockbroker. Came home from the military. Uh, came home from a military career. Very lost. Without purpose. And you, you nailed it. The, the purpose thing was what was at stake there. Drifted from uh, brokerage to brokerage relationship to relationship, apartment to apartment, zero direction in his life. His dad calls me up and says, Hey, I'm, I'm sending this kid out there to you. Now keep in mind this kid's in his late twenties. Okay. So he's not really a kid, but you know, he's, he's still my baby. Um, I said, sure, bring him, you know, send him out here. He's going to work his ass off, but yeah, sure. Bring him out here. Mama, mama will whip him into shape. And, of course, his father had many doubts that Mama would be able to do that task because he had been unsuccessful at doing it. This kid was out here in the Midland area for less than 24 hours. He came just for a, for a visit, quote-unquote visit. And he came to me, and he said, Mama, he said, do you care if I stay here with you? I said, well, absolutely not, son. What do you want to do? You know, what, what's going on here? He said, I, I want to work out here. I said, okay, son, but let me tell you, your mama's got some high expectations. This is how this is going to go. You know, if you screw up, mama's going to get a phone call. Believe that. And, you know, if anything bad happens, mama's going to know about it. And I don't care how old you are. It, it's going to be bad when it comes from mama if you screw up. Well, long story short, this kid was out here for two years turned into one of the best hands that many people out here had come across. He got a job for a company that I was working for at the time on his own merit. Um, went in and, and pleaded his case to the supervisor and described why he would be an asset and got hired. This kid turned out to be one of the best hands out here. Um, got laid off, went back. To Dallas. He's back to being a, a stockbroker now. But uh, he got his purpose. He got his purpose out here. He was able to put in a hard day's work, reap the benefits from it, and he was able to temporarily find his niche in, niche in the world. And he is doing exceptionally well now from the experience that he gained working out here. Yeah. I like hearing those stories about, you know, just, it's a lot like the military. It's a lot like, um, Oh, what's the word I'm, I was looking at just a, a very training camp, if you will, because the oil and gas industry is is mirrors that military a lot. Brian Lash, the former Absolutely. founder yes. of Target Logistics, and I would talk about that all the time. He used to do the uh, temporary housing for like Halliburton overseas, and he ended up doing the Olympics and all this stuff. And he brings that up, the similarities. But he brought up an interesting uh, uh, analogy one day about how, you know, somebody like your son just kind of plopping around, you know, for a while pl- pr- un- without purpose and everything else, or... You get a kid who doesn't want to go to college. And either way, you know, these kids are without purpose. They go in the oil and gas industry for five years. They save up enough money. Now they can go buy a Subway franchise or go start their own business when they actually figure out what they want to do. So even if the oil and gas industry is a pit stop, it becomes a, a, like a monumental, life-changing pit stop for a lot of people. That's, that's a great way to look at it, too, you know, because it does pay well. You know, and being out here, working out here... And then going back to being a stockbroker, you know, work, working in the financial industry, this is actually, his experience out here has given him a new take 
on on his trades and the decisions that he makes regarding a lot of stuff. Um, and now he pretty much studies oil and gas companies and takeovers and and buyouts and you know that that's kind of become his little specialty. So, um, you know, it it helped him because before he thought oil and gas that was just it was evil, it was terrible. You know, and, and then it started putting several, several thousands of dollars a month in his bank account. And um, he got a little different take on it. Why do you think so many people have a negative view of oil and gas without ever setting foot, without ever working in there? I bring up the, um, this is part of the defined by defection again, where 10 years ago when I got into this, you know, so you've been in it for over 20 years. I got into this about 10 years ago. And the issue 10 years ago was plastic bags and paper bags and plastic straws. And that was it. There wasn't really too much outside of that. Now we got the president trying to ban the industry. You've got John Kerry, who's got some weird title now, climate czar, going around telling people to go find new jobs. And it's, it's totally different. Totally different than what it was. That's the ago. last person we need to listen to. That guy right there. But anyway, well, don't don't get, don't get me started on that. In fact, I'm quoted two weeks ago because uh, the API, American Petroleum Institute, came out and started the conversation about whether we should have carbon pricing or not. And I and I was like, what now? API is listening to John Kerry. John Kerry is the new voice for oil and gas. Holy shit. Like, whoa, okay, things have changed. (laughs) But what do you think? In your your observations, you know, I brought up mine of the 10 years from plastic bags and straws to where we're at today. Um, What do you think, if anything, has changed? I mean, you mentioned that your son thought the oil and gas world was evil, and he'd never set foot in there. And you worked there. So... Uh, talk to me a little bit about, you know, the perception of you and then the perception of, of your family and, and your kids and everything, because I think this is important conversations for people to hear. I think that anyone that has a negative outlook on the oil and gas industry is uneducated and, and they need to do their research. They need to see it for themselves. You know, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a police spouse now. You know, people talk crap about police officers all day long. Um, my, and my answer to them is, hey, you know what? Go have a conversation with an officer. Go do a ride-along. Go see what they do every single day. Go walk in their shoes for a day. Get educated. Then come back and tell me your, your opinion on police officers. And, and I feel the same way about the oil and gas industry. Um, my husband, negative knowledge about the oil and gas industry, mind blown, took him out on location, took him out on location, showed him around, explained things to him, gave him oil field 101 and and he gets it now. He understands. Um, and, and I think that that's the case with, you know, he did a ride along with me, so to speak. And I think that that's what a lot of people need to do. Go get your feet wet, go get your hands dirty, go see what it's all about. Um, people have the mis, uh, misunderstanding, I guess, for lack of a better word. I call it more, more attitude than information. Well, I mean, they, they all think that we're just a bunch of uneducated, dirty hicks out here. Yeah. And, you know, that we're all, uh, the term, quote unquote, oil field trash. I hate that. That is one of the most derogatory terms that's, that's state-sponsored shaming. That's state-sponsored shaming. You it, could call yourself. Because there is actually so much technology, so much engineering, so much planning that it's mind-blowing to the people that find that out. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing trashy about it. The oil and gas industry, today's oil and gas industry, is actually a, a very technical, fine-tuned uh, running machine. So I, I brought this up to a few leaders, high level leaders when that started coming out, you know, oil filled trash. Cause about three, four years ago that came out where that was being used in the media all over the place. And, uh, and I said, yeah. I said, you guys, you need to pay attention to this because 
when you historically look at when the government tries to ban something or tries to do something, they immediately shame it as dirty or disruptive or something. Take, take a look at, you know, heroin. They did it with the Asian American population and, and cannabis with, with uh, uh, Hispanics and African Americans. And so they've done it in other areas too. So when I started seeing the smoking ban, they did it with the smoking ban too. They started allowing uh, public shaming and et cetera. So when I started oh, yeah. seeing that template, I started talking about that to people who get paid a lot of money. I mean, we're talking six figures, if not more, to lead the industry through trying times. They were laughing at me, calling me a conspiracy nut, calling me all kinds of different things. And I'm going, guys, how can you argue over the body of work that's been done over the last 10 years? Like, do you not understand that this was at the time it was Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were now having public conversations about banning oil and gas? I'm like, guys, do you not get it? Your message is not hitting home. You need to reinvent your message because all the kids are being told that you're the, you're the evil enemy. And so um, anyway, I find that interesting. That's all because I, 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 that oil field trash is what triggered it for me. Sorry. I agree with you. Oh, no. And I mean, I, you know, some people think, you know, they've got the decals on the back of their trucks. They've got the tattoos. You know, I, they proudly proclaim themselves that. No, stop that. Stop that. Y'all quit doing that. That is not okay. You're not trash. It's all about self-love. Love who you are. Love what you do. Yeah, and and that's I get it. No, and and I don't want to take anything away from somebody you know doing self deprecation. That's my I love self deprecation. That's how I you know that's how I advance myself through life in uncomfortable situations. So I'm on I'm all about it. But at the same time, you do have to take a look at when there are others doing that. People outside of the industry. That's that's when it should be really unacceptable. Um, because that anyway, that's that's a different topic for a different day. I sorry, that was a trigger word for me. I didn't oh, realize no, that, that's okay. It's a trigger word for me too. I didn't realize it was such a trigger for me. It just well, because I, I get you know, I, I try to have high level discussions with high level people and when they, you know, kinda laugh me out of the room because I'm bringing up things that they don't talk about on a regular basis because it's you know, like predicting the future. Well, okay. I same thing with negative oil too, when I started talking about that. Some, in fact, I publicly got trolled on that, calling me an idiot, and there's no basis of science and things like that. And I'm going, well, we're just trying to have the conversation because the signs are there, and we're living in a we're, we're living in a world where nothing makes sense right now, nothing, because we have a president of the United States trying to ban an industry that without it, nothing works. So, good luck. <laughs> just anyway. Well, as far as like the. The future of the industry. Last year, when COVID first hit, I was working with an operator that shall remain nameless. Uh, very one of the one of the big five, and there was a meeting where everyone said, "Hey, you know, it's uh, this COVID stuff. Just everybody hang together. We're all going to be okay. Just everybody hang together." All right, cool. Well. Then the next week, it was finish out your drilling permits and take it to the yard. We're stacking everything but three rigs. And that was the day that, that oil took a proverbial nosedive off the cliff, like a you know, bunch of lemurs, one after the other. And um, they had a forecaster there at the meeting because a lot of these companies, you know, big operators have people that do nothing but sit around and crunch numbers and predict stuff. And I asked him, I said, so, um, like how long is this going to (laughs) last? You know, the question that everybody's asking, you know, when when are we going to come back from this? And he said, well, in regards to, you know, X, X operator, the operator that he worked for, He said, we're looking at coming back from this, trying to come back from this in 12 to 18 months. And, and they are, they're rolling out some stuff right now. Um, so, I mean, his, his prediction on that was correct. He said, but as an industry, 
he said, we're never coming back from this. We are never coming back from this. It is never going to go back to how it was. You know, I, I've been in since everything was old school, stuck around during the great crew change a few years ago. And, you know, jo- jobs that were paying $50, $60 an hour up until a year ago, year and a half ago, are now going for 15 bucks an hour. And I, I see now what he was talking about. Things are never going to go back to how they were. And that's something that we're going to have to, we're, we're going to have to learn to live with and adjust if we want to stay in the industry or find something that we're good at and move on. Well, as we kind of wrap up a little bit here, uh, the industry is obviously going through some changes. You're one of those individuals that just experienced change. What advice do you have for people out there that are going through so much uncertainty right now, whether it's they're currently employed and they just think that they might lose their job any day, or maybe that their spouse is, you know, telling them to go find a new industry, or maybe it's, you know, they themselves are questioning it as well. Because I do agree with you that the industry is changing to the tune to where a lot of the bigger companies are deciding that they need to, you know, be an energy company instead of an oil and gas company. And unfortunately for a lot of American companies, the European countries have had a 10-year head start. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and that's, that, that is the reality that's happening. Uh, there's going to be a big shakeup coming this summer after the PPP mm-hmm. money runs out and companies right. are, are no longer going to pay people to sit at home and, and, and be on social media. Um, right. Well, that's a big deal right now. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I've had so many CEOs and presidents call me just pissed off at the world that they're, they're having to, you know, use this money in order to give it to their employees so their employees can just spend all day online. And they're watching what they do. And, oh, I believe it. Oh, yeah, to the tune to where I've heard LinkedIn is now Facebook and all this other stuff and, you know, pictures of vacations and kids are popping up on LinkedIn left and right. So the poor bastard trying to sell his services, he's not getting any any, any, any show anymore because all, all the kid picks and the party picks are taking over. It's all party picks now. So um, it's changing there, too. So you're going to see a new social media platform come up. And also I'm hearing rumblings of social media uh, uh, regulations by companies coming in. It's going to start with uh, corporations publicly traded and trickle its way down to mom and pops, just like it always does. But um, what advice do you have for people? What, what should people be thinking? What should people be talking with their spouses about? Just what, whatever you went through that you think somebody should know, because I, like I said, I agree with you that the industry is going through some transitions and it, at the end of the year, it's probably going to have more of a less employees than more employees. It happened in coal and it happened in other ones too. So it's, it's not new. Well, the first, the, the first advice that I, that I want to give is ladies, put your clothes on. Okay. If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. If, if you want to, have some solid footing, man, cover those things up. It's not like you have the only pair. Okay. We've all got them. Um, don't quit, quit showing your crotch on LinkedIn. Just, just stop it. Okay. Get educated in your product, trust your product and put your knowledge out there for people to, see, learn, and appreciate. Uh, Do not get overwhelmed. It is extremely overwhelming. Don't let that get to you. Give it to God. Definitely. Cliche, but very solid. Give it to God. Um, Look at other, you know, try, try to be ahead of the learning curve. Or try to be ahead of the curve. Not the learning curve, but try to be ahead of the curve. If you, if you see the writing on the wall that things are fixing to go south with your position or your company or whatever, have a backup plan. Have three or four of them. Have one anyway. You should never be without a backup plan. 
And, you know, don't, don't be afraid to make some hard decisions about your life. Um, worked as a single mom to buy my first house on my very own in Midland. Uh, new construction was two years old. And I sold it last week uh, because I now live here in Lubbock. And, and it was very heart-wrenching for me. Um, sell, sell, selling the big Ram 2500 Laramie oil field truck. Um, those two things were part of who I, am, who I was. And I'm, I'm not that person anymore. I can't be that person anymore. Life's changed. And it's hard, it's been hard for me to get rid of both those things. And they're only material things. Um, but be ready to make some tough decisions. And in the end, whatever happens, you're going to be okay. Eventually, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And that's the important part about this is that at the end of the day, if you stay positive and really do what's best for you and your family, you are going to be okay. You are going to. And Jason, at the, at, at the end of the day, you can have the greatest support system in the world. Some people are blessed with that and some people aren't. But regardless, at the end of the day, nobody's really got your back but you. That's right. Yes. That is right. And with that, if somebody wants to hire you, whether they're a restaurant or they're going to have an event over the weekend or whether they have an office or, like you've mentioned, you're sanitizing and COVID-free and uh, rigs and, and oil field places. So uh, how can people hire you and, and get, in, get in touch with you or take a look at your services? Well, they can reach out to me. Uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. That's my, uh, my business platform that I use. Um, I'm not posting vacation or crotch pictures on there. It's pretty much 99% business or motivational posts because we all need those. They can connect with me on LinkedIn. My phone number is on there. Or they can connect with my business partner whose name is Sydney Lawson. Uh, 